you better look where you want to go. And then you can stay ahead of the disruption. You can be the person causing the waves. You can enjoy the ride. And you're going to enjoy the ride today. You're going to come away going, yeah, I can do that. Helping business leaders grow themselves, their team, and their profits. This is Entree Leadership. Now, here's your host, Ken Coleman. Coming to you from the Music City, this is the broadcast of leaders by leaders for leaders. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. Here's what we've got coming up. We just are fresh off our Entree Leadership One Day that we live stream all around the country. Dave Ramsey, Chris Hogan, Bobby Grunewald, and Scott Harrison all took the stage. Both Bobby and Scott are recent guests on the program, so if you'd like to learn more about them, hear from their content, go back a few episodes, and you'll get to hear their stories and their content. It was a fantastic day. Uh, We're going to bring you some content from that stage, specifically Chris Hogan's talk on disrupting your leadership. It's a brand new talk. Great stuff here. We're going to play a portion of that for you. Here is Chris Hogan. Disruptions are real. And I want to talk to you today because I want to talk about this area of leadership. I think we've heard some things or we may be believing some myths and we need to disrupt it. A study showed that 58% of people, they trust strangers more than they trust their leader. 58%. You hear that and you go, wow, there's a massive disconnect happening. If you've got 58% of people trust a stranger more than they trust their leader, What's going on here? And I think it's a lack of connection and lack of relationship, but I want to walk you through it because I want to disrupt whatever you think about the word leadership. Okay, I want to just turn it and put it on its head because if we start to see this for what it is, we can really honestly start to do what we're supposed to do as a leader. Businesses and leaders who are winning have redefined leadership. Businesses and leaders that are winning have redefined the word leadership. And we need to do it as well, not just in our head knowledge, but how we're acting it out. Because you've got people that are around you that are depending on you. Now, I'm going to tell you something. A good leader can help someone get better at their job. You can help someone do better on a phone call or a sales presentation. But I firmly believe there's something different about a great leader. A great leader can help change someone's life. And if we look at this and start to understand what we have in our leadership role is an opportunity to really do something special. But it requires us to disrupt the old school thinking. And the more we do that, we can see it for what it is. So in my opinion, leadership is about impact. It is about impacting the people that are around you, impacting your community with your businesses, your services. You can make an impact. And I'm the result of many people making an impact in my life. I mean, throughout, you can think back to teachers and coaches, people that cared enough about me to pour into me. And I think it's so important for us to reshape how we're thinking about leadership because it has nothing to do with your title. Leadership is not a title. I want to throw that out the window right now. Whenever you say the word leadership, everyone wants to look at the primary person or the primary group in charge, and that's not what it is. It has nothing to do with the title, it has nothing to do with your pay, and it definitely has nothing to do with how long you've been there. Leadership is about impact. And so for those of you that are here in this room and you may not be in a full leadership position yet, or maybe you're a growing leader, you've got an opportunity to make an impact. Don't wait on the title. Okay, don't wait on vice president to be in front of your name or after your name for you to believe that you're in a leadership position because that's false. 
okay? I came up in the banking world, right? In the banking world, everybody's a VP. I mean, the custodian was the VP of janitorial arts, okay? I mean, they give out titles. You know, you've been there and you've seen it where they give out titles, but the titles really don't mean anything. I think it's about making an impact on people's lives and really following through and and really giving the effort. So I want to disrupt this whole leadership mindset that it has anything to do with the title because you've got an opportunity to impact the people that are around you. We just have to think different. And when we think different, we can do better. We can really start to impact people's lives. Servant leadership is where you honestly begin to put your team first. You see, old school leadership, especially in the banking world when I came up, it was all about everyone at the bottom doing everything for the person at the top. You see, that's that old corporate mindset. But servant leadership literally flips it on its head. It's about the person at the top making it about everyone else. Now, I've been on Dave's team for 13 years. When I first joined, whenever we would have events like this, we used to get an IM, an instant message that would come over the system that would say, all men to shipping. And what that meant was, whatever you were doing, you would stop, go down and load the truck for the event that we were going to go do. So I'll never forget, I'd been there two months, the IM pops up, all men to shipping. And so I I see all the guys getting up and we all go down and we're loading the stuff on the truck, the books, the workbooks, all the stuff that we needed for the event. Well, I turn with a box and guess who's there? Dave. And I'm like, what's Ramsey doing down here? Right? And I hand him the box and so we load the truck and I asked someone, I said, it was Blake Thompson, uh, the producer, former producer of the Dave Ramsey show. I said, Blake, what's Dave doing down here? And he looked at me and he goes, what did the IM say? I said, all men to shipping. He went, duh. <laughs> but he didn't know what I had come from. I had came from the corporate world where you would never see a CEO or a high-ranking executive down doing things, right, that was expected of everyone else. And so it just blew me away to go, all men to shipping means all men to shipping. It didn't have to do with the title. It had to do with everybody chipping in to get this job done. So my mind was blown. So two months later, the IM pops up, all men to shipping. And so we all go down. Well, there's a new hire down there. And he's down there and he goes, Hogan, is that Ramsey over there helping load the truck? I go, yeah. He goes, what's he doing down here? And you know how we love to repay people, right? I said, what did the IM say? He said, all men to shipping. I was like, duh, right? He too had come from that world. But can you imagine the statement that it makes for you as a leader not to ask your team to do something, but for you to be right in the middle of it involved as well? You see, that's where the example part starts to step in. That's where people realize that we are truly in this together. I want to encourage you to adapt that servant leadership mentality because it changes things. It makes an impact on people. And you know what? People don't have a problem giving 100% effort because they know you are as well. But more importantly, they know that you have their back. So I want you to break the corporate way of thinking and I want you to always lead up. I want you to always be looking to make an impact on someone's life regardless of their title. I don't care if you're dealing with a VP or senior vice president, a CEO, whoever it is, I want you to be an example of leadership in how you think, how you act, and also how you believe about what people can accomplish together. You see, changing your mindset 
can help change the way that you do your job. There's a quote by John Maxwell that says, leadership is influence. Leadership is influence. And most people, unfortunately, want to make an influence overnight. And you can't do that. The way that you influence people's lives is by being an example. But I think there's a key word that I would plug into that. Consistent. You see, servant leadership isn't a sometime thing that you just grab. I want you to have this as a way of thinking. That means if we see something that needs to be done, we're not thinking of whose job it is, okay? We look at it in our company, at Ramsey Solutions. We see it, if you notice something that needs to be done, get on it. And I want you to adapt that in your process. And I don't care if you're leading a team of three or 403. It changes the whole spirit of things. So I want you to see people as people, not as titles. I've met people all around this country, you all, of doing speaking engagements, and I've met some high-ranking individuals, and I've met people in the military that had big titles. And i got to tell you something. I don't even really hear titles anymore. When I meet someone, I want to know what you do and why do you do it. Why does it matter to you? Right? I want to know their heart. And when you hear that, I'm going to tell you something. You can watch people's eyes. You know, too often times, have you ever asked someone how they're doing, and they tell you, fine right? But you look in those eyes and you can tell that something's not quite fine. See, as a servant leader, you don't pass by that. You know what you do? You circle back around and you connect with that person and you look them dead in their eyes and you find out, hey, you said you were fine, but I noticed something about you doesn't feel fine. You see, that's you caring enough to notice, but also caring enough to follow up to find out what's going on in their life. And they may or may not tell you, They may not tell you the full story, but the fact that you would ask, the fact that they've never had a leader take the time to care enough to circle back and ask can change things. It can start to build relationships on a whole nother level. And they might tell you a little bit or they may tell you a whole lot. It doesn't matter. The bottom line is, is that you were present with them in that moment and you cared. You see, I think that's what people want. People want a leader that can make things happen, but I think they want a leader that cares enough to be connected, that just cares. Like you see somebody as a person. You see, the game changer for me from a leadership perspective was, you know what I started doing? Not only do I see people, I know every person I meet is attached to a family. I know every person I meet has got somebody that's counting on them, somebody that needs them to do a good job. And for me, there's a transference of obligation there because I want to make sure I'm helping that person be the best that they can be. You see, you see this and it starts to feel different. So I want to disrupt the mindset of leadership of just being this big title or the person that's in charge. No, leadership means you've got an obligation to make an impact on people's lives, which in turn can make an impact on their family. It's a bigger picture. And I think the more we see this, we can change things. The results of caring about people is influence. I took over a branch. This was back in the 90s. I was hired out of the banking world to come take over a branch. And I took over this branch. I inherited like five team members. And they had all been through some stuff. But I'll never forget, I had an opportunity to really put my leadership where my mouth was, right? I had this girl on my team. Her name was Latanya. And LaTanya was a hard worker. She was worried when I came in, how was I going to treat people, right? And so I saw her really in her, her personality. She was a very bubbly girl, very happy, very excited. But I noticed something changing. I noticed her getting a little bit more quiet and a little bit more reserved, 
right? And I knew something was going on. And I said, LaTanya, I said, you have a minute. And we stepped in the break room and I said, uh, what's going on? And she said, oh, nothing, I'm good. Just hadn't been feeling well. I'm gonna tell you, I saw her eyes, okay? And I said, okay, well, if there's something I can do for you, please let me know, right? That's all I said. Two hours later, she said, Chris, can you step back here? Can I talk to you for a minute? I said, absolutely. And I stepped in the back and she goes, I'm not feeling well, but she said, I've, I got a bigger issue. She said, my mom has been diagnosed with what they think might be breast cancer. And I said, Latanya, I'm so sorry. She goes, yeah. She goes, I'd appreciate it if you could pray for it. She goes, but my big frustration is, is that I'm out of vacation days. I used up all my time going back to help her a few months ago. And now with this diagnosis here, I'm out of vacation time and my time doesn't renew for two months. And I just looked at her. I go, what? She goes, well, I don't have vacation days. I said, oh, girl, you don't need vacation days. I said, you need to go home today. I said, you need to get to Baltimore to go see your mama. And she goes, you know, Chris, you don't understand. I don't have vacation days. I said, honey, you don't understand. I'm in charge of that computer. You know what helped me be human? I'm just a big old Kentucky mama's boy myself. If my mama needs me, if mama Hogan calls, texts, or I get a feeling that my mama needs me, you already know where I'm going. So the fact that this girl who was working with me for I don't know how many days had been sitting at that desk worried about her mama, but she didn't come tell me. She didn't come tell me on the front end. See, that's my fault as a leader because a connected leader gets an opportunity to hear that from the front end and you can address it. I sent her home that day. And I told her, I said, honey, no, no, you don't need to worry about vacation time. What you need to worry about is your mom. And I'm gonna tell you something. Something happened on that team over the next couple of months. Her mom was diagnosed and got the treatment she needed and eventually it went into remission. But I know LaTanya came back and told some people some stuff because I got some notes from them saying, hey, thank you for caring. Thank me for caring. You know, I heard about what you did for LaTanya, man. That was awesome. And I'm thinking to myself, I did it for her because I would want it done for me. And that's that mindset that we can forget. We get so wrapped up in chasing down results and the business that you forget you've got an opportunity to chase down some connections inside your own office. The leader with the most connections wins because you can tackle anything together. They just need to know that you have their back and I promise you, they'll have yours. And watch what happens. Watch the camaraderie that gets built. Watch the attitudes that change because they start to see each other as team members. Another guy told me something years ago. He said, you know, this team that we're building here, he goes, we're a ragtag group of people. I said, first of all, I don't appreciate the being called rag and tag. I don't know what we... He goes, this is the only family I got. He told me that. This is the only family I got. I said, what are you talking about? He said, I've had four brothers that passed away. My mom and dad are gone. I'm not connected with extended family. He goes, so when I come to work, it's a little bit different for me. This is the only family I got. That was also a grow up moment for me. I'd never thought about it that way. I've got a big family. I mean, they're all there. How many of y'all got crazy in your family? Okay, all right. Yeah, if your hand ain't up, you might be the one. I'm just gonna tell you. I'm just gonna put that out there. 
But it's so important for us as leaders to realize the opportunity that we have. That was a wake-up call for me, that you may have some people on your team that that's the only family they got. And so I want you to view it different. I want you to have that mindset and that spirit that you're leading them not only in business, but you may be making an impact in their lives on levels they've never imagined before. And I think that's a great opportunity for us as leaders. Hope you enjoyed that. Now, again, uh, we ran out of time in this episode. So much in here. It's like stuffing the turkey. You know what I'm saying? We've stuffed it full. And uh, we're going to give you the entire talk, and you can get the rest of it, if you will, by going to entreleadership.com slash podcast, or you can get it by clicking on the link in the show notes of episode 293. You want to get the rest of it. Trust me. All right, going to take you to the backstage area where Sarah Sloyan, our amazing vice president, joined me to answer some of our viewer questions. She's got great insight, and the questions were practical. You're going to learn something alongside of those who submitted their questions. Here is Sarah Sloyan. Sarah, welcome. Thanks, Ken. How's it going from your point of view out there? I guess you were out there in the audience first session. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes, it's really fun. And I love this topic, market disruption. Yeah. It's a really fun topic to get to talk about. The stories are awesome. And it really revs me up to go out there and think differently. All right. So I would love, before we get to some of our viewer questions, what was the decision-making process like when the team said, all right, let's make market disruption the theme of this particular one-day event? Yeah, we actually started with this topic at our summit event. We taught one lesson. We realized this is a real hot topic in the marketplace that we're not talking about as much as we need to be, is how do we constantly stay innovative and and on our toes? And we started studying some of these companies that really got complacent, and it ultimately led to their you know, demisal, which is really scary, but it's been a fun topic to talk about. So then we said, let's make a whole event about this. And that's what we're doing today. All right. So we're going to take some of your questions. First one comes from Mike. He says, what's the best way to handle the transition with the team from a leader moving on to another role and someone from that team taking over the leadership role? Yeah, this is a great topic and a great question because you have to always be replacing yourself. And so the way you do that and doing that well is going to be really key to your business continuing to thrive. So I would say I really like to plan in advance and start giving that person what we call 20-pound weights. So how do you start introducing them to some stuff before they are at this very visible place where it's if they make a mistake, they're going to be lit on fire? You know, How do we start doing that at a, at a non-fatal level? So are there small decisions you can start filtering over to them? Can you bring them in to observe meetings or discussions? Can you talk them through after the meeting why you talked about something a certain way or why you made the decision? I also think it's key to spend some time talking about the underlying principles that you use to make decisions because you'll never be able to talk someone through all the different scenarios that they're ever going to encounter. But if you can take a minute and say, here are kind of those key underlying principles that I use to make decisions, then they can apply those to any scenario that they encounter. Uh, Next question is from Charlie. He says, how do you help morale when vacancies are being filled by other individuals and not current staff? Ooh, that's interesting. That's tough. Yes. That's tough. I think it starts by being clear with people on the growth track and what their performance is currently and what it's going to take 
to get to those next level roles. And that way it's never a surprise if someone's, you know, let's say they think their next step is director of marketing. Well, then they're not surprised when they aren't being considered for that role because they understand here are the hard and soft skills that are important for me to have. This is what it's going to take. You know, right now I have to be a three out of five on these things. But if I want to be director of marketing, I need to be a four out of five or a five out of five on some of these things. And you're having that conversation. So then it's never a surprise. All right. Let me do a follow up question to that. As I'm sitting there thinking about that, how should a leader should they feel like they're not doing what they need to be doing if you're only filling vacancies from outside? Because I know at Ramsey Solutions, we're very intentional. We have people that come from outside, and then we have people that we move up the ladder, and we're very intentional and, quite frankly, good at it. You're an example of that. So what should be that mix? Yeah, that is a great question. So I really prefer to promote from within if I can. Now, that doesn't mean you do that at the expense of promoting someone who's not ready or who is just, frankly, not a good fit for that role. And so I think there is something broken if you aren't finding opportunities to promote people within that they're not ready, then you probably are not doing a good job of exposing them to some of those smaller 20-pound weights that we just talked about. And you need to reevaluate, okay, what's my process to do that? Because the reality is those people that are internal, they have all this amazing company context on culture, right? Your company probably has a very unique culture, a way of doing things. So then what that tells me is then you haven't been working on maybe some of the hard skills that it would take to complement that. So yes, I I think there's, it's still okay to bring people in from the outside, but if you're only bringing in people from the outside, that is a sign to me that you haven't done a great job of cultivating the people who could be the next layer of leadership before that position comes open. All right, next question comes from Dax. He says, I have a junior employee who is not rising up to her potential. Should I move in another direction or is there anything I can do to get her back on the bus and find the proper seat? Yeah, I think this goes back to what we were just talking about. So um, if you have been very clear and you have this on paper, we call it a scorecard of kind of hard and soft skills that we expect from that person in that role. If you have been clear and that person is still choosing not to grow in that capacity, you can lead a horse to water, right? But you can't force them to embrace that growth and make that happen. So that's a whole different conversation. But if you haven't been clear as the leader, I think that's the first step to me is be very clear. And to be clear, I would put it on paper. And you're looking at that and you're going, okay, on a scale of one to five in communication, where do you see yourself? And then, okay, well, where do I see you? And it brings up this great conversation because some people just may not be aware of that being a requirement to get to that next level. So to me, it starts with being clear. If you've already been clear and they still choose not to, or they can't or haven't grown in that way, then I think that it's time for that person to either, we we say, okay, you're great in the role you're in and you're going to stay in that role, or maybe they're not even hacking it in that role, and we need to talk about, are there other seats on the bus that are better fit, or is this an attitude problem? And so, let's stay there. So, you've been clear as the leader, and they're not measuring up. So, now it's the responsibility of the leader to say, okay, here's why you're not measuring up, and either that's fixable or it isn't. Right. So, if it's an attitude thing, you're gone after a certain amount of right. time. But, if it's a seat issue, I know you do this, what does that look like to help them realize, okay, we've, we've given this some time, We've been very clear. You're not being able to perform, but we like you. You're a culture fit. You're an attitude fit. It's a competence issue in this role. How do you navigate those next steps to try to find and then not just find another seat, but hopefully they go, all right, I accept this. Right. 
My favorite scenarios, and it doesn't always work out like this, is when we have mutual recognition of the fact that this is not a good fit any longer. So maybe the role has outgrown that person. Maybe they were never a great fit for that role, and it was a mistake from the beginning. Hopefully that's not the case. But when you sit down and you really look at that scorecard for what it is going to take in that role, in your current role or, or whatnot, if you can mutually come to that conclusion by looking at that, what I usually do is go, okay, we've now looked at this scorecard four weeks in a row. And it feels like we've said minimally acceptable on these skills is a four out of five. And you are continuing, we agree that you're continuing to operate at a three out of five. I got to be honest, if we do this for a couple of more weeks, the next step is going to not be comfortable conversations. But what I feel like here is that this is more of, um, this is not a great fit in the role because you've got an amazing attitude. You're a really hard worker. What are your thoughts on that? And kind of open up the dialogue. I don't think you have to have it buttoned up or this perfect conversation. Mm -hmm. I think you can just talk about it. And then what I try to get them to realize is the seat is not a great fit. What if we talked about other opportunities in the company? If you want to, we can double down on this role. But the reality is, if we spend six to eight weeks and you're still at a three out of five, unfortunately, we're going to start talking about you no longer being a fit on this team. Mm-hmm. And what I'd love to do is if we, if we say right now, this is not a great fit, let's look at these other opportunities, it gives us an opportunity to turn the corner and not you have to completely leave the team. All right, let's take you backstage where Dave Ramsey joined me during one of our breaks and took viewer questions. This is always fun and always valuable. Here's Dave answering questions. Start off with Destiny, who writes, what's the biggest thing that you want people to take from this event? We were just talking about that. Today's theme, very specific. Yeah, very. So, I mean, the biggest thing we want folks to take away is uh, two things. One is you can do it. And uh, two is you better (laughs) (laughs) because it's coming at you, baby. (laughs) Change is about the only thing we can count on. And, uh, you know, and and that should both invoke energy and a healthy kind of a fear. Like I talked about, it's hard to talk about fear and make it healthy, but uh, fear done properly in this setting moves you and gets you out of the street so you can get hit by a car. All right. Now let's go to Davia uh, who writes, how do you know it is time to close the business or continue the fight. Boy, this is near and dear to your heart. Man. I've heard you talk about this many times from the Entree Leadership stage. Well, even closing a product line or a department within a business, which is very hard for us to do because we, we don't launch anything. We don't believe so deeply in we would die for it kind of thing. And then you have to kill one of your children in a sense, you know, and I'm kidding, but not. Uh, so, you know, how do you know? My, my friend Henry Cloud wrote a wonderful book called Necessary Endings. I'll recommend it to you if you're facing this. One of the chapters in there kind of brings the whole thing down to its essence. And he says, when you lose hope in a relationship, a business, a career, a job, whatever it is, when you lose hope that things are going to get better, the loss of hope is logical. It's reasonable to lose hope. Then you would close. You would quit. In other words, he used an example of if you're dating someone who's addicted and they keep saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit drinking, I'm going to quit doing drugs, I'm going to quit drinking. But they, and for a little while they go sober, but then they fall back off. Well, you, eventually you go, this person is not going to stay sober. I've lost hope and that relationship needs to come to an end. And the same thing is true in business. You know, we've tried to make money, we've tried to make money, we've tried to make money, we've tried to make money. We adjusted, we adjusted, we adjusted, we adjusted. We don't know, we can't see anything we can adjust that make this where we can make money 
then it's illogical to continue. That means you've lost hope. We can't change this product enough for it to be successful. We can't see our way for this to be successful. You don't just continue running into a wall. That's stupid. Um, some businesses, for instance, you get in a space where there's a race to the bottom, meaning the price point is just dropping, 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 and the margins are dropping, 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 and the players in the space get slimier and slimier. And they, it just keeps dropping and dropping and dropping. And all of a sudden you look up and we looked up in one of those spaces in a highly regulated, the government was breathing down our throat all the time. The price point kept going down, down, down. The margins kept going down, down, down. The customer acquisition was harder, harder, harder. We really couldn't see a scenario where five years from now we were going to be happy with this. And so we closed it. And we took the people in that department, used them in other areas in the company. It was something we've been working on for about 10 years. And we had to quit. And, but you lose hope based on logic. But if you still got one more thing to try that you think might work, then try that thing before you do it. Let me do a quick follow-up there because once they've decided, okay, it is the right time to quit, our good friend John Maxwell wrote a book called Failing Forward. Just speak to that real quick. That even though you failed and you've admitted that, okay, it didn't work, that doesn't mean it's final. No, it doesn't. And, and you do a CSI, you do an autopsy on what happened because there's always a learning from a failure. And you go, okay, I ran the car in the ditch because I was looking at my phone. Well, don't look at your phone while you drive. You know, I hired this person, and I knew down deep in my heart that it was a bad idea. And then when I had to fire them, my heart reminded me that it told me that. And so, you know, we got a saying around our place, if something feels weird to several people, it's because it's weird, you know, and quit ignoring it and that kind of stuff. So, you know, did you ignore some of that stuff that was going on and go forward, the simple go forward? Andy Stanley wrote a book about that, the simple, you know, see evil and go forward anyway. And that's the opposite. All right, uh, final question from Denise. She writes, what advice would you give your younger self about your business and personal finances? Depends on which younger self, how young. But if it was really young, it'd be way different. But I mean, after bankruptcy and just starting and running this business and, re and growing our wealth the second time, then um, I think a couple things. One is you're probably going to make it with your money. You're probably going to make it with your business. You're probably going to be successful. And I am positive it's going to be harder than you think. And there's stuff you're going to face that you didn't know was coming. You can do it. I, I think you're going to do it. I, that's what I would tell myself. I think you're going to make it. But you're going to have to work harder and put up with more stuff than you ever dreamed you would have to do. You know, I, I could not anticipate that I was going to have 800 people now when I was 32 and hired my first person. I could not anticipate it was going to take that to get this business to this point. But I did see that there was tremendous opportunity helping people with their money or with their leadership. I could see that, but I couldn't see how much work it was going to be. I couldn't see the heartache that we've been through. I couldn't see how tired I was going to be sometimes. I couldn't see how deeply rich it is in our soul to have people like Ken and Sarah on our team. I didn't, I didn't see those things coming, but I, I did see the opportunity. So it's going to be harder then you think you're going to make it, and it's going to take longer than you think. Well, folks, it was a fantastic day. Bobby Grunewald shared, Scott Harrison shared, and then Dave closed out the day with a lesson on the power of intentionality. I don't care who you are, what you do, where you are, where you do it. This talk is going to hit you right between the eyes. Let's get to it. This is Dave Ramsey from the stage at Entree Leadership. Winning, it's not an accident. No one accidentally wins. We live with cause and effect. 
What you put into your life is going to come back. Farmers don't plant corn and then stand back shocked and say, why did corn happen? They don't plant corn and go, where's the soybeans? They know that what they put in the ground is what's going to come out. They know they don't control the sun and they know they don't control the rain, but they do control what they put into the ground. You don't control whether or not God chooses to bless something and make it outrageously disruptive and successful like these last two men that were up here, but you do control what you put into the thing, what you can do with it. That's very, very important. Our minds and our lives are wonderfully fertile. As a matter of fact, we probably only use about 10 to 20% of our capacity intellectually, emotionally, and with our energies. We redirect them at the wrong things. We get twisted up because we're just people. It's not a guilt trip, it's just how it is. But all I can remember is I could always do more. I could always do better. I can always focus a little bit more. I can always be a little bit smarter. I can always be a little bit wiser. I can always be a little better in shape. I can always be a little kinder. I can always be a little, because it's a decision. I'm nowhere near at my capacity. You're nowhere near at your capacity. And if you stop putting the stupid stuff into your mind and into your life and you keep putting the wise and smart things into your life, you displace it and eventually you become a different person. Scott standing up here is an example of that, isn't he? What a great story of comeback kid, man. I mean, amazing. And, and so that's what we got to do. We have to be intentional about what we put into our life. In other words, when things are mediocre, it was a choice. When things are normal and they suck, it was a choice. Oh, it wasn't that we sat down and said, I want my life to suck, but we made a series of choices that caused our life to suck, that caused our business to suck. When we got to make different choices and put those in the glass and it displaces the bad stuff. That's what really happens there. You see, you start with big dreams and I have these dreams, I want to be this, and then the dreams come down out of the clouds and we blow a little of the mist off and they become vision. And then once there's, the vision is there, we turn the vision into a mission statement and we say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to give clean water to every human on the planet. We're going to transform lives in the area of leadership and finance. We're going to, you have a mission statement then that goes front, that's born in your dreams and it becomes a vision, then it becomes a mission statement. And then the mission statement informs and tells us what our goals are. Goals that are not fed and fueled by dreams do not have any power. Dreams that don't have goals, well, you're just a dreamer. We could provide clean water. We could help people with their money. We could run a vastly successful roofing company, a guy I was talking to a few minutes ago. We could have a heating and air company. We could have a software development company. We could be successful. As soon as you start to really dream and think about the details of what happens, immediately doubt creeps in, fear creeps in because we're humans, doesn't it? Say yes. And in our head, it sounds something like this. If we try this, it might not work. Have you ever thought that? If you try this, it might not work. Michael Jordan used to say, I missed 100% of the shots I never took. If I try this, it might not work. My friend Seth Godin says, I define anxiety as experiencing failure before it occurs. Winston Churchill said, success is stumbling from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. But what if every time you failed, you quit? What if every time you ran into an obstacle, you threw an interception, you just sat on the bench and said, I can't do it, somebody else do it? It's just not logical, is it? And yet we feel like it. I mean, we know Babe Ruth had more strikeouts than anybody else, right? I mean, we know the numbers on these things. But in spite of the failure, 
in spite of these course corrections and the things we learned from what we did wrong, we're going to ship it even if it doesn't work. We want to be one of the first 200 apps. We're going to put it out there. And then we're going to work like crazy to keep making it better and stay ahead because we started out as the leader. We're going to play a little scared, but we're going to play hard. Y'all get this? You're going to mess up. It's part, but fail forward, as my friend John Maxwell says. Keep moving. Keep taking another step. Intentional. The power of intentionality is you become what you think about. If you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Get after it. You got to go, man. You got to kick it into gear. You got to do stuff. Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The great philosopher Ferris Bueller said, life moves pretty fast. But if you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. William Wallace in the great movie Braveheart, the best leadership movie ever done, said, all men die, but not all men really live. Robin Williams, playing his character in Dead Poets Society, said, seize the day! Carpe diem. Seize the day. Churchill said, success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. Some of you came in here today, some of you watching this today, you're right on the bubble of whether you're supposed to give up or not. You remember when Scott talked about he was almost ready to give up? I've had a bunch of almost ready to give up experiences. Like, I just want to fire everybody and start again. You remember that? Y'all kind of went, I saw some of you going like, yeah, yeah, I want to do that. I'm doing that tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? You know, almost quit. What if Scott had quit? What if he'd quit? What if when I almost quit, none of this happened? All these people that we've been able to impact their marriages and their lives and their futures and the futures of the grandkids, showing them how to handle money and how to lead businesses. What if none of that happened because I quit? Now, if you were doing something just for money and it didn't work out and you want to move on, the next thing, that's fine. But I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to people in here who are thinking about quitting and their thing was inside of them. You were eat up with it at one time and you just been beat down and beat up and you're about to quit. Well, hear it from the old guy. Don't you dare quit. Because you don't know what's on the other side of that. You fight through one more day. Hey, our friends at Infusionsoft are giving you a 14-day free trial. Are you kidding me? Uh, folks, their service is crazy valuable. That means it costs some money, but they're going to give you it for free for 14 days just to try it out, risk-free. Why wouldn't you do this? Well, let me give you a couple extra reasons why you should. You're going to be able to put all your customer info in one place so that you and your leadership team can see the latest data on tasks, sales opportunities, and email results. It's going to allow you to close more business. So if nothing else, for 14 days, you've got a chance to make more money. Again, what are you people waiting on? This is going to be a great opportunity to kick the tires. Infusionsoft giving you 14-day free trial of their service. Go to infusionsoft.com right now, or you can get the link in the show notes of episode 293. All right, folks, jam-packed. You're going to have to give your brain some time to rest. I think it's kind of like after I eat too much turkey and stuffing and I sit on the couch to watch some football and I just need to rest. And I think your brain's probably going to need to rest. I would not partake of any other podcast, any other book for at least 24 hours. You're going to want to let this sift through your body or else you're going to just overeat. And boy, it's never good when that happens. So that's going to do it on behalf of the entire Entree Leadership team. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk with you again very soon. 
Hey folks, I want to make you aware that we have other great podcasts from Ramsey Solutions. Here's a sample of The Ken Coleman Show. According to a recent Gallup poll, nearly 70% of Americans are disengaged at work. If you dread going into work every Monday morning and you're just trying to make it to the weekend, The Ken Coleman Show is for you. Everyone has a sweet spot. Your sweet spot is at the intersection of your greatest talent and greatest passion. We will help you discover what it is you were born to do, and then we'll help you create a plan to make your dream job a reality. You matter, and you have what it takes. Join the conversation on The Ken Coleman Show. To hear full episodes, just search Ken Coleman in iTunes or go to KenColemanShow.com.